Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. I knew it was going to be a good day when Willie Ray came in in his pink tie. Uh, pink tie day. Uh, he is raising the bar. Tommy Jones has his purple sweater on. Men in this church are raising the bar. Now get with it, everybody. We are raising the bar. We are uh, bringing out the Woodburn swag these days. That's good. Open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah in the overflow. Friends in prayer, Oklahoma, we love all of you so much. God bless you. Join in worship with us today and in listening to God's word together. Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah is there right after the book of Isaiah, right there in the middle of the Old Testament. Book of Jeremiah. I was pretty amazed. Uh, sometime last year I was at a conference. I heard the director of World Vision who was speaking to the, to the rather large audience. And one of the things he said was really shocking to me. He said that uh, we are at the point in world history where radical poverty everywhere could be eradicated. And that's the director of World Vision talking, who's usually, you assume he wants us to give more and more money, and he does. But, but honestly, there are many who say that we could eradicate completely world poverty, perhaps by the year 2015. That's amazing. It's, it's amazing. I also have been told that if uh, every church in the United States would take in one child, if one family from every church in the United States would adopt a child, there would be no children without families in the United States. That just doesn't sound like anything very hard. That if just one family in every church in America would adopt a child, then there would be no more children without families. However, I don't really see that happening. It's heartbreaking when you think about it. As close as we are, and the fact that as God's people, we really do have in our hands all of the resources to basically do God's work in all the world. and It just never happens, does it? For the very simple reason that we don't care very much, if we're honest. We just don't care very much. We don't care about people we don't know. We don't really have a heart that breaks for the world. We really don't care. And, and our lack of concern for the world should be a concern for the church. And I want to take you to the book of Jeremiah for this. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet for one very obvious reason, he, he weeps, his heart breaks. And, and listen to his words. Jeremiah chapter 8. Let's start in verse 18. Words of the prophet, he says this. My grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. Listen to the weeping of my people. It, it can be heard all across the land. Has the Lord abandoned Jerusalem, the people ask? Is her king no longer here? Oh, why have they provoked my anger with their carved idols and with their worthless foreign gods, says the Lord? The harvest is finished, the summer is gone, the people cry, yet we are not saved. I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and I am overcome with grief. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? You can drop into the book of Jeremiah at about any place, and that's about what you'll find. He was actually a, a minister's son, a, a priest's son, lived about three miles north of Jerusalem. His parents named him Jeremiah, which means God raises up, God will lift up. I guess some people have it and some people don't, but when it comes to uh, following in your father's footsteps, 
people probably would have thought Jeremiah didn't have it. He really wasn't a very likely choice for someone who would speak for God. He just didn't have that kind of temperament. He was very shy. He was um, in some ways a little too sensitive for the role. He was a crybaby, according to all accounts. And yet God calls him. God calls Jeremiah to this role when he is just a very young teenager. He, at that point, had no public speaking experience. He begged God out of it. There were 10,000 reasons not to serve God in this way. And yet, according to his story, God put in Jeremiah's heart some things. God put this incredible love for the world, love for his people in his heart, and it overwhelmed him. And, and God put in Jeremiah's heart his word. And Jeremiah said that that word just burned like fire. So even on the days when he didn't want to speak for God, he could not help speaking for God. It, it was fire shut up in his bones. So as a very young man, he started this, this ministry of preaching, speaking to his, his people. According to his story, serving God for Jeremiah meant that he would never get married. So he never married, and, and he never had children of his own. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, he never really had a friend in the world. He never had a friend. We know more about Jeremiah than most of the other prophets. We can follow his ministry for, for nearly 50 years. And in 50 years, they never listened to him. Let that sink in. 50 years of preaching they never listened. As a matter of fact, they hated him. People hated Jeremiah, and even his own family turned against him. So at his lowest point, even his family was against him. But people tried to kill Jeremiah. And now, there are a lot of martyrs throughout world history, people who have died for the faith, for the name of the Lord. But, but very few people have just had to endure the, the, the kind of ostracism and persecution that Jeremiah endured for over 50 years. Never had a friend, never had a convert, never had anybody listen to him. They, they hated him. But the most interesting and heartbreaking part of the whole story is that despite the fact that they hated him and tried to kill him and called him all sorts of names and persecuted and ostracized and dug a pit and threw him in a hole in the ground, you understand, Jeremiah never stopped loving these people. He never stopped loving these people. So a question for today is, where does that kind of love come from? Where does that kind of love come from? Because honestly, I don't see much of it in the world today. I don't see much of it in churches, to be real honest, and I live a good part of my life in church. But, but even church people, and sometimes especially church people, can get all tangled up around things that really don't matter. If you really pay attention to a lot of the folks who, who fill our pews every Sunday, the things they love are small things, that they love small things. They love things that pertain to themselves and maybe their families, but for the most part, we don't see this kind of love for the world. I mean, the Bible says God so loved the world, but if you look at God's people today, you don't see that kind of love for the world among us. And, and that points to something profoundly, profoundly broken in our hearts. There's something wrong 
with us. We just simply don't have that same kind of love for the world. Our hearts don't break. I I could say that we watch the news and don't care, but most of us have stopped watching the news. I mean, there are 500 channels on TV now. We don't even have to watch news. If we don't want to hear about the suffering around the world, we don't have to hear about it. And for the most part, most of us now are ignorant about what's happening around the world. We have no idea that for weeks now they've been burning churches in Egypt. They've been burning churches in Egypt. We don't know about that. We could know, but we don't want to know. We don't want to know. We don't want to hear. We just simply don't care very much about the world, about the people in the world, about the suffering. It really doesn't involve us, and as long as it doesn't involve us, it really doesn't concern us. God help us. I guess it's just easier not to love than to love because love is always messy. Love is always risky. And honestly, we've gotten pretty good at playing tricks in our own mind. We can figure out ways where we can sort of rationalize why we shouldn't have to care for people. Now, for the most part, what this boils down to is convincing ourselves that that those people that we don't want to care about, somehow they're not like us. If we can just simply do that in our heads where, where, where we're not like them and they're not like us and therefore I'm sort of excused from having to care. We just convince ourselves that somehow we're very different. I've told you all about the day I was sort of stuck in the tire store one day up in Bowling Green. Uh, my car was getting worked on and I was in this very, very small waiting room at the tire store with a very, very large TV. Uh, for over an hour and the TV was stuck on one channel and uh, as soon as I sat down the TV show that came on was Jerry Springer Jerry Springer I don't have cable so I really I I don't get to see this I have to go to the tire store to watch quality television you understand (laughs) Jerry Springer came on so I'm trapped and it turns out that that the title of Springer that day that the episode was called mama stop sleeping with my boyfriend mama Stop sleeping with my boyfriend. That was the name of the, of the episode. I tell you, this was something else to see. You, you just, I, I wish you'd all been there at the tire store with me. Um, the, the first person to come out was Mama. Mama, she, this was the Mama. She was uh, this, this toothless, backwoods woman who was uh, now on national television, probably for the first time in her whole life. Uh, she was something to look at, people. I just can't even describe it to you. I, I mean, you know, five teeth in her head and none of them met. I'm not kidding, just teeth. And uh, she, she was uh, just short. Um, she had on this little bustier thing. I don't know what the word of that was. Is that a thing? A, a, a bustier thing? Um, like a baby doll thing? And it was slit right here so you could see her middle, but you didn't want to see her middle. It was just kind of white, doughy middle and, and the slit here. And... Uh, face just all made up and this is an older woman this was the mother and the mother came out and started telling her story with all kinds of pride she was talking about how that her daughter was engaged to this man but totally totally ignored the fact that her mother this bustier woman was sleeping with her daughter's fiance and she decided it would be a good idea to bring her out on national television and break the news this this was jerry springer that day Mama stopped sleeping with my boyfriend. So the lady talked for the longest time, and then they brought out the daughter, the, the daughter. 
who I just have to explain, went with the mother perfectly. I mean, the family. And, and so the mother and daughter are now here, and they, they talk for a minute, and then the mother breaks the news that she's been sleeping with the, the daughter's fiance. Now, this is national television, and, and, and of course, the crowd is playing this for entertainment, but this is a real family, and they start talking about this, and the daughter just goes to pieces, and then we have a commercial break. And then we come back, and the daughter's crying, and the mama's sitting there all proud, and then they bring out like Bubba, the red-hot boyfriend, that they bring him out. I mean, straight out of Portland, Tennessee. I mean, here he comes. Um, and he sits down, and then it all just falls apart. Eventually, the daughter is up screaming at her fiancé, who's sleeping with her mother. And then eventually, they're fighting. I mean, daughter's pulling mama's hair. And then daughter gets a chair, like on a wrestling show. She gets a chair and hits Bubba, the red-hot boyfriend. And it's just all crazy. It's just, it's just crazy. And I'm very aware at this moment of several different emotions going through me. Now, first off is, is embarrassment. I just really can't imagine that, and I'm just thinking these are real people. They should be ashamed. They should be humiliated. They should put on some clothes. They should see a dentist. I mean, I'm just thinking all sorts of things. It's anger. It's, it's upset. It's embarrassment. But I was also very aware of something else going through my mind. There's another kind of emotion that I had to be aware of that was in me as I watched those people. And honestly, the only thing I can describe it as is superiority you know what I mean I just watched those people and I felt so righteous in myself and so superior and there's something about me I, I sort of enjoyed watching them and and picking them apart making fun the whole studio audience is hooping and hollering making a joke of these people and I could do the very same thing I could make a joke of these people, and I could feel very, very good about myself watching their lives fall apart on national television. That's just the truth about me, and I'm sorry that I'm that way. But I could watch them and just think how pitiful and pathetic and hilarious they were and, and how somehow that made me feel better about myself. But then the weirdest thing happened. On Jerry Springer, the weirdest thing happened. About the time the daughter whacked Bubba the boyfriend with the chair and the daughter sat down the mama just sat down and she just started bawling just crying just bawling mascara just running just bawling her hair stringing out she's just bawling and the crowd starts booing boo boo and she's just bawling for the first moment in the whole television show this is actual emotion nothing fake it's actual emotion the mother just starts bawling and the daughter says what's wrong with you and the mama just says i know you'll never love me but i just wish you respected me and the whole crowd goes boo boo and they laugh and they holler but that's the moment when I looked at that woman and I thought she's just like me she's like me she wanted to be loved she just wanted in all the world her daughter to love her and, and let's all admit she's going about it the wrong way this is the most lost woman I've ever seen in my life and the emptiest and the most desperate. 
the most desperate woman I've ever seen in my whole life. And at that moment, I thought, my goodness, I'm like her. I'm, I'm like that. You ever have moments like that when the walls just come down and you start realizing, I'm like those people. I'm not different. I like to think I'm different. I like to think I'm better. But I'm not. And you're not either. And this is the thing about Jeremiah. If you want to question where this love comes from, Jeremiah just never, ever stops talking about my people. And that's the language he uses. These are my people. Now, these people don't consider him one of them. Do you understand this? They're never going to accept him as one of them, but he never, ever stops accepting them as his people. They see him as an outsider, but he always considers himself an insider. They want to cut him off, but he never cuts himself off. They do not accept him, but he loves them. They're my people. Jeremiah cries and weeps on and on for the souls of his people. He loves his people. Now, if anybody would have a reason to feel righteous or superior or separate from this whole nation, it would be Jeremiah. You read Jeremiah and you think this is the one guy in the whole land that's not like anybody else. But at the same time, this is the one man in the whole land who says, I'm just like everybody else. These are my people. They'll always be my people. He weeps and cries and mourns. He feels their pain because they will always be his people. He loves them. He's connected to them. He identifies with them. See, this is my problem and your problem. We just don't identify with people. We've got a thousand ways of separating ourselves from other people. We can categorize by county. We can categorize by, by dental appearance. We can categorize by cars and jobs and money and ever which way we can imagine to do it. We love to figure out ways that we're different, but we're just no different. Now, I remind you, Jeremiah's people are sinful and wicked and mean and awful, awful, sinful. But at the very same time, Jeremiah recognizes that the sin in the lives of all of his people, that same sin has roots in his own heart. He never separates himself from them. He knows that he is absolutely capable of doing everything that they do. I mean, read his book, read his prophecies. One of the things that makes the book of Jeremiah different is that he includes these long, long chapters that really are his prayers. But Jeremiah's prayers aren't like prayers of other prophets, other ministers. I mean, Jeremiah lays it all out there. As a matter of fact, there's a word in the English language that's called Jeremiah. Look it up, Jeremiah. A Jeremiah is, is a long complaint or a list of complaints. It comes from Jeremiah because he includes, he writes in his Jeremiads. Some people call him his confessions. He doesn't claim to be perfect. He doesn't claim anything. All he knows is that he's got God's word like fire in his bones and this incredible love for his people, and it tears him in two. He lives his life torn in two, the weeping prophet. But he's never going to turn his back on God's word, and he's never going to turn his back on his people. At what point did you and I decide that it would be okay if we turned our back on people? 
At what point did it become okay for Woodburn Baptist Church to sit here on this side of Highway 240 and never cross over into the actual community of Woodburn? Almost nobody in this house today comes from the community of Woodburn. When did that become okay for us? Not to care about the people who are literally in our front door. It's just convenient that so few of us actually use the front door. We don't ever have to look over there. When did that become okay? When did it become okay to go to school with all of these teenagers who were broken and empty and desperate? And when did it become okay just to walk around all day texting and LOLing while real life kids go to hell? How is that okay? How is it okay for us to live our lives standing in line for the latest iPhone while people in the world starve? And orphans in the United States have no homes. How did it become so okay for you and me to live our lives with absolutely no concern for the world? Jeremiah says, my grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. I listen to the weeping of my people. Do you understand? He listens to the weeping of people. You and I have no patience for the weeping of people. We manage to stop up our ears to change the channel. We just don't hear the weeping of people. Because once you hear the weeping of people, you have to do something. You become responsible. You become somehow soft-hearted, somehow responsive, or else you become a monster. If you can listen to the weeping of people and not feel their pain, there's something dead in your heart. But, look at how these people treated him. I mean, look at the passage with me. I, I want you to take it apart a little bit because before you feel all sorry for him, let's go back to who these people are. They get to speak in verse, verse 20, in verse 19. Notice what they say. Has the Lord abandoned Jerusalem, the people ask? Is her king no longer here? Okay, don't feel sorry for them. Not so fast, but before we get all broken heart for these people, don't forget, these are wicked people. And when they say, where is God? Has he abandoned Jerusalem? Where is our king? You've got to understand. You have to understand. They're asking this question, but they don't really want to know. They don't really want to know. And when they call God their king, that would be a stretch. I mean, he is their king, but they are not his loyal subjects. They do not listen to him. They do not seek him. They have no desire in letting him rule their lives. He is not the king in their lives. So you got to understand when they say, where is our king? They're not praying out for him. They're complaining about him. Where is he? Where is he? When we suffer, where is he? God speaks back. Oh, why have they provoked my anger with their carved idols, their worthless foreign gods, says the Lord. Do you understand? These people don't follow God. They don't know God. They don't want to know God. Go on. The harvest is finished. The summer is gone. The people cry, yet we're not saved. Okay, be careful. Be careful because I know how you read that. You think, oh, that is the most beautiful verse in all of Scripture. We're not saved. You understand? They don't want to be saved like you mean saved. That's not what they're saying. This makes a beautiful, a beautiful theme for your next revival meeting, but it's really not exactly what they're asking for. 
They don't want to be saved like you and I think about being saved. Now, they do need saving. We'll all agree with that. I mean, they're in a world of hurt, and it is simply because they've left the Lord. They will not walk with him. They will not listen to him. They will not let God love them, and they will not return his love. They do not want God. Now, they do have problems, and this is what they mean. Oh, the summer is gone, the harvest is past, and we're still all messed up. Where's the Lord? You understand? In other words, they want solutions for their problems. They want a little extra money at the end of the month kind of thing. They want God to bail them out of the mess they've made. But they don't want God. You with me? They want God to deliver them and rescue them. They want God to help them. They just want God on call when they decide to call on him, but they really don't want God up in their lives. They don't want God. You understand? I bet you do. I I bet you do. Because let's be real honest. That's how we are. That's how we are. Some of us only pray, just be dead honest, we only pray when we have trouble. You you, you only pray, you only really want God when you want him to do something for you. See, we're kind of all in the same boat here. It's this terminal disease that we all have as human beings, it's called sin, and, and it always, always ends in death. And we're all the same in it. So chances are you're more like these people than you really want to admit. We don't really want a relationship with God. We don't want that kind of daily prayer and walking like we sang about earlier. We don't want that. We we just want God to call on if we need help and and then to blame when things go wrong, that sort of thing. So we can say, where is God? I knew prayer didn't work. That's sort of where we live. But that's not where Jeremiah lives. You see, they're his people, and he sees himself in the same boat, but the one thing that's very different, he he knows God, he seeks God, he, he longs for God, he loves God's word, and that's the only thing that makes him different. And he knows that. So he continues to preach God's word to his people, and he continues to love his people, even though these people never listen, they despise him. They despise him because they despise his God. So so, so let me say this. If you're in this situation, if you're that person who really doesn't want God, but you have somebody like a Jeremiah in your life who keeps trying to, to tell you, who keeps trying to love you and keeps trying to to point you back to God, if you've got that Jeremiah in your life, I I just want to beg you to listen to him. Listen to that person. It's a sign of God's love and God's grace that there is somebody in your life who loves you like that and loves you enough to tell you where you're going wrong. If there's somebody in your life who will stand up in your face and, and tell you where you've gone wrong and how God will make it right, you need to listen to that person. But Jeremiah was that person. And they never listened. They they tried to kill him. It's just unbelievable to to think about that. Where does that kind of love come from? I mean, just that kind of love that that loves people anyway. 
you know what I mean? Loves them anyway, even though they hate him in return, even though they don't listen, even though they despise him and they tell lies on him, he just loves them anyway. See, that's the kind of love that the church needs. We, we find it way too easy to write people off and, and cut them off and, and fall out of love. But, but we need that kind of love that just loves anyway. S- some words that uh, they say were written in Mother Teresa's little chamber there where she stayed among the poor in, in the city of Calcutta. It's Mother Teresa's words. Listen to this. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Loved them anyway. Where does that kind of love come from? Jeremiah, these tears that he cried, he just never stopped crying for people. Where do those tears come from? Where does that kind of love come from? It comes from God. Do you understand? This love that Jeremiah has for his people, that's God's love for his people. Read the book of Jeremiah. Read the part where God himself speaks and God says, I have loved you. He's talking to his people. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Read the part where God says, I just want to bring you home. I want to bring you home to me where you can be happy and dance. This is what God says. He wants them to dance. I've loved you with an everlasting love. You see, Jeremiah has the love of God in his heart, and it's one of the surest signs that he belongs to God and knows God. It's it's that love that God puts in his heart. I I suppose some of you have read that one of the little letters of John in the New Testament where, where he talks about God's love. He says, Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who knows God and is born of God loves, you understand, because God is love. The, the one that does not love does not know God, for God is love. The one that does not love does not know God because God is love. That's a rather startling kind of word for many of us. Because of all the things that may be deep down in our hearts, for many of us, it's it's not a lot of love down there. The one that does not love does not know God because God is love. 
So how do we explain the fact that we call ourselves the people of God and yet there's so little love in our hearts? Um, yeah, you love your family, I get that. You love your friends, I understand that. But, but God puts a great love in, in our hearts for the whole world, for the loss of the world, for the sick of the world, for the suffering of the world. When we hear their cries, it makes us want to cry. That's the kind of love that God puts in our hearts. My question for the church today is where is that love? Where is that love? Because something tells me if we had that kind of love, we would be preaching and weeping and out in the streets just like Jeremiah. Something tells me if we love the world like God loves the world, then we would somehow be serving the world and not just living to serve ourselves. If we love the world like God loves the world, we wouldn't be complaining so much about how God's been letting us down. The one that does not love does not know God because God is love. Pray with me. All weekend long, Lord Jesus, there were men and women and teenagers in jail in Warren County, some of them crying out to you, O oh God, in need of a word, in need of a friend, in need of hope. We didn't visit. Hospitals full of sick people, Lord, crying out for healing and needing a touch and love and hope and prayer. We didn't visit. Neighbors, Lord, that live on our street, we don't even know their name. Sometimes we hear them yell at their kids at the back door. Sometimes we hear music. Sometimes we smell strange odors and wonder if we should call the police, but we don't visit. We don't know them. Some of us have members of our own family that we've written off. We stop loving. We stop caring. They are an embarrassment to our name, we say. Man is to figure out a way to stop loving them. World full of children and men and women who are fighting wars, dying in wars, dying of starvation and illness, children who will die today not of some horrible disease but of diarrhea. We have medicine that would cure that. We don't send it. Lord Jesus, we know that you love the world so much that you sent your son Jesus to come and die for the world. God, it's obvious from the way we live our lives that we don't love the world so much. We mostly just love ourselves. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would break our hearts for the things that break your great heart. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would put your love in our hearts and that the whole world would know that you live and that the church is real simply because we have a real love in our hearts that defines and permeates through our lives. God, there's something wrong with our hearts today. We don't love the way you love. So Lord, open our hearts today and put your love in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to love people, to love you most of all, but to love people, Lord. Help us, Lord, to love, not just in words, but with every single action. Break our hearts, Lord. Help us to hear the cries of people. 
Help us to love. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.